This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Here we are in Studio B today with managing the weeds of toxic relationships. This is part two. I'm going to get us started. Uh, Part one of this, we looked at dynamics of a toxic relationship. In particular, we looked at symptoms. Mm -hmm. Like, what are we talking about? We're talking about hurtful words, selfish ambition, envy, manipulation, deceit, all those really good things that bad Santa would want to bring at Christmas. Yeah. And I think that this is like, you know, 99% of the people that we talk to, I mean, most people that come to counseling are dealing with maybe a difficult person, a difficult relationship. They feel stuck. They don't know what to do. Maybe it's with a parent or a spouse, a coworker, or a sibling, family member, and, and they just don't know what to do. And so this is really kind of the bread and butter of what we do in counseling. I think this is sort of what keeps us in business, unfortunately, right? Yeah, when people's relationships get into a intense level of pain, they come to see us. Mm -hmm. So about 100% of what we see is the most intense stuff. Yeah. Which makes us experts. (laughs) We see patterns. So we thought about how to approach this in sort of a creative way. And here's how we're going to angle it. We're going to talk about rules to break. Mm -hmm. We're talking about breaking rules We get to break rules today instead of keep rules. Yep, because there are things that we do automatically that really should be broken and readjusted. So rules to break and what to do instead. Yeah. Like once you break the rule, what do you put in its place? Mm -hmm. And the reason that you're going to want to break these rules is because you're dealing with a complicated, toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. Not all relationships are equal. It's very important to understand this. And I think most people sort of pick up their patterns of how to do relationship growing up, and they just kind of go in and think, well, this is how this person should respond because this is how I respond. And they just really don't have paradigms for navigating the complexities. So we're going to help create categories for you to think about because some relationships require us to be very discerning and to have wisdom to navigate them. Be clear about this. We're not giving you, nor do we want to give you, ammunition to use on people. We really want you to learn to love intelligently because we're called to love. But love looks different in different relationships. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to give you ammo, but we want to give you a way to think about relationships that will give you some freedom, some strategy and info on how to navigate them. Uh, For instance, we talked about this in our prep session. I see this in clients all the time. They get really stuck in a difficult relationship and they'll say something like, well, I just need to love like Jesus Mm -hmm. loves. 
Mm-hmm. And who can? Right. No one. So they beat themselves up. Mm-hmm. They feel guilty. Um, they attempt to love and it doesn't work or they feel icky. And they automatically rule in that they're doing something wrong mm-hmm. or they're not spiritual or they're not right. loving like Jesus loved. And they tend to think that love is sort of like this squishy uh, set of feelings that's more like, I like this person. Right. Like this person's cool to I hang out with. I have to feel with. like I really love this person. Yeah. yeah. Or feeling loving toward them. Mm. Um, even the presence of toxic symptoms like the hurtful words, the manipulation, the deception. They think, well, I, I just need to love and forgive them and have joy. And if I love them enough, they'll change. Things will get better. Yeah, things will get better. We kind of like to pop that bubble Mm -hmm. in our sessions because not even Jesus did that. Hmm. John 2, 24, Jesus is in Jerusalem. Everyone's coming to him. But John tells us this, Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He knew their hearts. He knew they were foolish. He knew that they did not want him. And so he took a step back. He didn't make himself vulnerable in every single situation. Mm -hmm. He reacted accordingly. Um, He read the room. Can we just say that? Right. He knew how to do that. Mm. Jesus did Proverbs 4, one of my favorite passages. He guarded his heart. He used wisdom. And that's what we're going to talk about today. One of my mentors likes to say the passage from 1 Corinthians 13, love takes no record of wrongs. But wisdom says that sometimes we must. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Proverbs are filled with this. Proverbs 19, 19, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Mm. That's a cool verse. Yeah. And that really speaks to you don't love everyone the same way at all times. You know, somebody who's like really angry if you try to calm them down, if you try to buffer it, oh, hey, it's not that bad. Like, what can I do to help you? You're just going to have to do that over and over and over again. Proverbs 19 says, let them pay the penalty. So sometimes we have to break the rules. Yeah. And this is going to be fun to talk about. And when you break certain rules that we all sort of grow up with, like, well, I just need to love, forgive, and Mm. and everything will be fine. We need to break some of those rules. And when you do, you actually push people into a path of redemption that has the possibility, doesn't always work, but it has the possibility of redeeming the good stuff in the relationship because it creates a window for people to see reality. Now, it may not redeem your relationship Mm. with this difficult person, but maybe the next relationship that this person gets into with someone else, maybe this person will think differently if you love them strategically. So it's not all or nothing. I either love or I don't love. It's using wisdom, strategic love, intelligent love. Uh, In fact, I guess we could say this whole talk could be wrapped up in the essence of how do we live in a Christ-like way with difficult and complicated people. Yeah, I mean, I just go back to this uh, verse in Philippians 1 that says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Or another translation says, 
so you can discern what is best. And so we really do want to learn to love intelligently. We want to put our thinking caps on. We don't want to bury our heads in the sand, but we we want to have our eyes open to what is in front of us and how do we deal with it wisely. So here we go. The first rule of break. Are you ready for this, John? Ready. Rule number one. This is the first rule to break. Wait for things to get better. And, you know, when I thought about this, I thought, you know, I can just hear my mom's voice in my head saying, oh, honey, just give it time. Things will get better. You know, that's kind of how we're often coached, you know, as we're growing up. And in some cases, you know, that may be true. Some, some you know, interpersonal conflicts resolve themselves. But when it comes to toxic relationships, I think we're in a different category here. It's different territory because the reality is that things typically don't get better on their own. When people do nothing in a toxic relationship, things will not change. Yeah, I can give you an illustration of an old mentor of mine when I first got married. My relationship wasn't toxic, but he taught us a principle that kind of fits with this idea that things will just get better on their own. He said, look, your first seven years of marriage, if you guys dig in and you do the hard work and you start talking about your differences and your issues, you learn how to do conflict, it'll be rough <laughs> your first seven years. Mm -hmm. But then it will even out. Mm -hmm. He said, on the flip side, if your first seven years, you're just like eating pizza, having sex, watching movies, goofing around and thinking that, hey, we're great because we just love each other. He said, that will go for some time, but you'll get about six, seven years in and all of a sudden things are going to break down and you won't have the tools to work through the difficulties. Uh, John Gottman says, by the time a couple actually comes to therapy, they've been dealing with destructive dynamics for about six to seven years before they even think, hmm, maybe we should go talk to somebody about this. You know, I'm surprised at that number. That actually seems low because I would say just anecdotally speaking, I think people tend to wait longer than seven mm. years. Like, I mean, we've, you know, we deal with this a lot. Clients come in, they've been living in a toxic or a dysfunctional situation for decades. And they've just been hoping and praying for improvement without really working towards figuring out what's going on. You know, what changes do I need to make? And I think there's a principle here that I want to get into a little bit because I think this is such a helpful concept. And John and I are both big fans of Henry Cloud. And this is really good Henry Cloud material right here. But he talks about good pain versus bad pain. So let me just explain these categories really quickly because when I learned this, this was a real like a light bulb moment for me. So bad pain is the condition in which a person or people in a relationship, they adapt to misery because they feel there's nothing they can do about it. And this is really that pain of staying stuck. So it hurts, it doesn't feel good, but you're not moving towards anything. And this you know, is often characterized by you feel powerless or you feel helpless. And sometimes this is due to external factors that are outside of your control that you truly can't change. But oftentimes it's actually because of internal factors. Because when we start to feel stuck or we're just waiting for things to change, the brain responds in a way that can even shut down new ideas, resources, outside input, and there's just a loss of impetus 
or motivation to make changes. You know, sometimes it could just be the fear of the unknown. If all you've known is something that's unhealthy or toxic, then maybe you don't want to rock the boat. You know, I I can imagine that that's hard to think about how things could even be different because to you, that's normal. Or maybe you fear like, okay, what might happen if I risk speaking up or naming the truth or shining a light into a dark place? And, you know, I saw a quote recently. I thought this was really good. And it said, truth is the one thing that people don't want to believe. Hmm. I mean, that's that's a pretty powerful statement. Truth is the one thing that people don't want to believe. And I think that's true because the truth is unpleasant. It's ugly. It's painful. But if we don't acknowledge it, we stay stuck in this bad pain. But you know, this is the wait and see approach that we know doesn't work. And over time, this is a place where we can develop ruts of resentment, guilt, and bitterness because we're just cut off from good things and we lose a sense of hope. But I want to contrast that with good pain. So we're looking at bad pain versus good pain. So you're going to have pain either way. Pain, Yes, pain no matter what. Thank you. Hello, it's nice to have a belly button. <laughs> like, welcome to the world of pain. Exactly. It's either going to be productive, yes. I think you're saying, right, or it's going to be destructive and just whittle away at you. Yeah. And and that's exactly right. So good pain is when you're you're still faced with a struggle. It's still difficult, but you can see it as an opportunity for growth. So instead of waiting and staying stuck, it, it could look a lot of different ways. But for example, it may look like the pain of letting go of a toxic person or distorted thinking. It may look like opening up to new people or new ideas that are healthy and life-giving. It could look like the pain of delayed gratification. This is a hard one where you're learning to trust God when you are in a relationship where maybe you do have unmet longings or desires, but you're still believing that God is good, that he sees you, and that he loves you. But these are growing pains. It hurts, change is hard, but ultimately it's going to move us forward and bring health back to our souls It invites health back into our relationships. And, you know, one of the favorite Psalms that I refer to so many times, I've turned to it again and again, and I encourage clients to just saturate themselves in Psalm 25. And I want to just read a couple verses from it. And I I just want you to get the sense of the movement forward as the writer is writing about working through this good pain. He says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you, God, I put my trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth. Teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. The Lord instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. So this is like the opposite of just waiting for things to get better. What we want to do instead is we want to face reality and enter into a growth process. We want to ask the Lord to instruct us, to teach us, and to guide us into all truth. The truth of the hurtful patterns, the reality of the damage that has been done, this is what we need to do instead. It's hard, but it's good pain. So you're saying good pain is really just entering into reality like what yeah. is and dealing with it. The bad pain is when you create like an alter reality 
Mm-hmm. You avoid things and sure. just kind of hope against hope yeah, right. that things are going to get better. Exactly. So we're not going to jump from, hey, I'm stuck to now I'm unstuck or, mm-hmm. hey, this is not a good scenario. Oh, now I have a good one. Mm-hmm. And most people think that way. Yeah. Almost like New Year's resolutions. Like magical thinking. Like I can just wake up tomorrow morning and things are going to be better. This year I'm losing 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. Okay, but how? Meaning, what are the small incremental steps we can take and work on so that over time, as we put these ingredients in, we're ending up in a better place? Mm -hmm. So let's break that down a little bit and identify what that might look like. Okay. Some examples, like an emotional bank account, meaning that you practice telling your wife, hey, I really appreciate the fact that you're faithful to me. That means so much to me. Hey, I really appreciate that like you're here when I need you. Little bits of affirmation you're adding to your emotional bank account. Mm-hmm. Which means that when a negative comes along, if you have enough in the emotional bank account, you don't go bankrupt. Right. There's a shock absorber there. Mm-hmm. If every time I go out with Paula, I am 30 minutes late, over a two-year, three-year period of time and say, gee, I'm sorry, gee, I'm sorry, then if I really have like a real legitimate reason that I'm late and I show up and say, look, I I really couldn't help it, there's nothing in that emotional bank account because I've drained it Mm -hmm. dry Mm -hmm. because I haven't been courteous to her and respectful of her time and prioritized her. So those we overlook those things. They're very subtle, mm-hmm. but they add to the positive emotional bank account. Building trust. You use the analogy of a fishbowl and marbles. Marbles in a jar, yeah. Yep. If I show up on time for two years, every time we go out for dinner, I'm dropping a marble in that bowl. Mm-hmm. Like, you can count on me. Mm-hmm. Just little things like that. You know, sometimes you and I joke about working with couples and we say, You know, the kingdom of God is really breaking in when you can go out and have a piece of cake and some coffee and you're not arguing with one another. So look for the little things. Think of it as a a fitness regime. You don't go to the gym and all of a sudden bench 300 pounds. Right. Right. You go into a program that prepares you for that. Mm -hmm. Oz Guinness has this great line. I heard it 30 years ago. It's always stuck with me. We tend to overestimate what God will do in one year. We underestimate what he will do in 20. Mm, And that mm -hmm. gives the time perspective. Sure. So the growth process we're talking about is adding ingredients over time, little tiny things that you do over and over again. Yeah. So don't just wait for things to get better. We're saying jump in. Right. Start swimming. You know, you're not going to do this perfectly. But jump in and start dealing with reality. Yeah, it's kind of a conscious choice that you have to make. Okay, so the second rule that you need to break if you're in a toxic relationship is to try to change the other person. This is such a big one, John. I mean, I I actually have to kind of laugh at this because we all think that we can change other people. I, I don't know. I mean, somewhere along the way, We've picked up the idea that we have the power to change others, to get what we want from them. And that's usually where we start. And I get it because, of course, you want to change this other person who's, 
you know, bringing harm or damage into your life. And and here's the thing, we can see the flaws in other people so clearly. Like I can see Shay's flaws with <laughs> with crystal clear vision, right? But I well, I can see yours. Yes, thank you. And I can see yours. I right? know you can. We, we can, we can yep. see each other's flaws with perfect vision, but we can't really see the things in ourselves hmm. that we need to change. And so we need to break the rule of thinking that we can change the other person. And, and so I'm including myself in this because you're going to be beating yourself against the wall, beating your head against the wall, because we just can't, we can't fix, change, or control anyone else. Well, just logically, like if we can't change ourselves, how in the heck are we going to change somebody change other else? other people, I know. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. It's not rational. But, you know, when I first started doing counseling, I was working with a lot of women in particular, and they would come to me about their marriage and things that their husband was doing that they didn't like. You know, I mean, kind of normal complaints, right, that women may have, a wife may have in a marriage. And the clear focus was in their minds, you know, how can I get my husband to change? Hmm. And it it took me to a place where I had to, you know, eventually work with them and say, you know, as much as you want your husband to change, you have to change. And, you know, that's just kind of a tough pill to swallow, right? Because we would much rather the other person change than us enter into that hard work. But what I mean by this is that you can work on yourself. You can commit to your own personal growth process, even if your partner isn't willing or they're resistant. And you can and you need to take that responsibility of working on yourself. And, you know, the first thing I would say, if you're going to enter into this, I would just start with educating yourself. Just try to figure out what's going on. What are the patterns? What are the roles that we're playing in this toxic relationship? You know, for instance, if if you grew up in an alcoholic family, there's a lot of great material, books, groups, and classes that you can take to just really educate yourself about addiction, codependency, and just those typical toxic patterns in an alcoholic family. And yet, I've met with so many people, you know, who I would call like, an adult child of an alcoholic, let's say, you know, they're mm-hmm. well into adulthood. And they're telling me, yeah, you know, I grew up and my father is an alcoholic. And, you know, somewhere in the first, you know, meeting with them, I'm asking, well, you know, tell me, have you read any books? Have you done any research on alcoholism or codependency in families or the impact that has on children? And here's the thing. Most often when I ask people that question, they say, no, they, they haven't read, they haven't looked into it. And I think that, you know, in some sense, I get it because that's part of the denial, right? Coming out of a toxic situation. But educating yourself is just a great place to start on this growth journey. I think people have a hard time doing it because they know intuitively, if I start to change, it is going to rock this boat. Right. And they're afraid of the unknown for sure. Absolutely. Well, and... You talk about educating yourself. That's that is an essential piece. The other part of that is I need resources to help me as I implement this kind of change. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about committing to a growth process and what it means and how you do this. You know, maybe you enter into a process of counseling, a twelve-step group. You take a class, 
maybe you start to look at your words, your actions, and you work toward like small steps of change. Mm -hmm. One of the things you can do, and, and I talk to clients about this, you take a three by five card, rehearse your responses to a person that's really difficult mm -hmm. or that you struggle to communicate with or that will not let you draw boundaries. Write out your response so the next time you're on the phone with them mm -hmm. and they do their typical move, whether it's passive aggressive or trying to throw a blanket of guilt on you, mm -hmm. you know ahead of time what you're going to say. That's really smart. Yeah. It, it really helps. Um, put a plan in place with a counselor, a friend. So you're taking what you're learning and you're applying it. Now, the implications of doing things in a growth process where you're implementing change in you and in how you interact with people means that things will probably get worse before they get better. Mm -hmm. But that is, as you mentioned earlier, a process of entering into good pain because now you're moving toward health and growth as you work on your thinking, your words, and your behavior. So when we come back, we're gonna talk about a third rule to break. Thank you so much for listening to With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text this episode to a friend and find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. Well, we're having fun with these rules, aren't we, John? We are. Let's break some more. <laughs> so we're on to the third rule to break if you're in a toxic relationship. And this may come as a surprise to some people, but the third rule to break is to love people unconditionally. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. have mm. to break this rule. And what do I mean by this? Well, every relationship, if you want it to be healthy, is based on conditions. You think? Right? Yeah. Or another way to say it, it's based on boundaries mm. or limits. Typically, those conditions that we're talking about would be mutual respect, truthfulness, freedom to be yourself without being controlled or manipulated. When these basic conditions are met, when they're honored, then you're setting yourself up to have a healthy relationship. Okay. So we're talking about breaking the rule, it's almost a myth, right? Right, A Christian myth. Break the rule of unconditional love. Mm. A guy I read years ago had this interesting phrase. When we're talking about God's love for us, it's not unconditional. He said it is contra-conditional. Mm. What does it's that mean? It's against our conditions. Like oh. there's no reason mm -hmm. for God to mm. want to hang out with us, love us, like us, because we're big messes. Mm. His love is better than unconditional. It's against our conditions. He looks at us and says, I see your condition. I am going to enter into this. I love and, you anyway. And work with this because sure. I love you. Mm -hmm. I always thought that was a pretty cool yeah. way to look at it. Mm. Um, God's grace is given to us as a gift. So we're not talking about in the category of his atonement and his love for us on the cross that that's conditional. Like, I'll love you if you obey me. It never works that way. The only relationship where you are totally unconditionally loved or against your condition is your relationship with God. 
but he does not ignore the conditions. He comes in to go to work. Mm. Mm-hmm. So love has teeth. Yeah. Like it works with things. It builds things up into beautiful things. So we have to deal with reality, mm-hmm. like what is. And the myth of whatever this person's doing, how no matter how they've hurt me, I just need to unconditionally love them, really strips love of its robust power. Hmm. So with God, the door is always open, uh, but the condition is, hey, let me in. Like, yeah, you have to receive it. I want to receive your love, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's a condition. And once we do come into the house, we're never kicked out of the house, but he for sure might give us a time out or take our TV time away, right? <laughs> um, he works with us. So we're talking really about consequences, that love has that. Now, that's on God's side of the equation. On a human level, yes. as we interact with people, mm-hmm. We have to start looking at then what does love look like strategically? And and we depend on that grace from God. But humanly speaking, because this is where we live in human relationships, the only relationship where you are going to get unconditional love is from your parents. And guess what? They weren't perfect at that. No, they were not. They screwed screwed that up, right? Um, But we think that going into adulthood, that we are supposed to love everyone unconditionally. But adult relationships are based on conditions, right? Mm. There has to be trust. There has to be ongoing accountability. You know, and so if you didn't get that from mom and dad, guess what? That ship has sailed. So you're in adulthood now, and now... Those relationships, if you want them to be healthy, is going Mm -hmm. to be based on certain conditions. And so we just want to clarify here that we're still saying that you can't change another person, and that is always true, but you can change how you interact with them. You can create an environment that is optimal for their growth and change, but that's by putting conditions into place. So, John, give us some concrete examples of what it looks like to love people with conditions. Very practical strategies. Here's the least intense of them. Mm-hmm. The question, would you be willing? Yeah, that's my favorite. I love it. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing? Uh, it's okay if you're not willing to whatever thing you want to see happen differently. It's okay if you are not willing, but if you don't, this is what I'm going to do or this is what will happen to me. Is that what you want? So you're inviting them into a growth process with you. Would you be willing to look at this thing in our relationship? Would you be willing to not throw your pants all over the living room and expect me to pick them up? Mm -hmm. It's okay if you keep doing that, but would you be willing to not do that? Because when you do it, it really feels like you're disrespecting me. And it puts the decision on them to decide if they're going to choose to do it or not. Yeah, it has a hook in it. Because the key to this is I'm asking you humbly, but the willingness to do it or not do it is yours. Uh, And this shines a light on their core desire for what they want in the relationship. Yeah, that's a great starting point. All right. The second one is a little more intense, the psychological mirror. If you think of a mirror, it doesn't nag you, judge you, direct you, control you, advise you. It simply reveals what's there. So example. Every time you talk to me that way, I feel something in my heart 
move further and further away from you and our relationship grows more distant. Is that what you want? Mm -hmm. You do not engage the content. You work with the bigger picture of what's happening. Because if you engage the content, then the problem is not the other person and their behavior. The problem now becomes you because you've pulled a chair up at their table. So every time you come home and you yell at me, I just feel awful. And I really don't like feeling awful. So I just want you to stop that. And the person can say, well, you feel awful because of the way that you were parented. That's the problem. So now the problem is no longer the big picture of when you do this, this is how it impacts me. Mm -hmm. Now you've pulled a seat up at their table and you're getting into the nitty gritty. So really key with the mirror is staying big picture process. When you do this, this is how it impacts me. Is, yeah. is that what you want? You're I showing like them reality. Mm -hmm. And a principle here is this. You'll be treated as poorly as you allow people to treat you. Mm. All right. That's the psychological mirror. It's tricky. Okay. All of these are tricky. Mm -hmm. None of them are easy. But it pushes you in the direction of good pain. Yeah. All right. Third one and most intense is consequences. This is pretty simple. And I like to put it like this. We are going to let their behavior change the way we relate to them. Mm, mm -hmm. We're not trying to change them. We're taking their behavior and using that. You're working off of what they're showing you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Essentially, you have to give some people a cost for their behavior mm -hmm. and you have to follow through with the cost. Uh, really good example. A husband mistreats his wife verbally and emotionally and then says, hey, would you come to this business dinner with me and, you know, kind of make me look good? Well, a limit, a consequence might look like this. Well, when we're with our friends socially and you criticize me, I feel really little. Mm -hmm. I feel very embarrassed. It's even my friends notice it. So I'm not going to be able to attend that dinner with you until I can trust that you won't criticize me in front of our friends. Can we have that conversation? Yeah. Hard to do, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, does it work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but you have to strategize on how you're going to use it and plan to use it. Yeah. And this goes back to, you know, talk to a friend, a counselor, mm -hmm. somebody, get self-educated, strategize, get your three by five cards and start thinking about how can I put some of these ingredients in place? Very hard to do, but it will work if you do it. Yeah, I think this is a really good starting point for people of how do I relate towards others with love and limits, right? Not just the yes. unconditional love, but what are the conditions? What are the limits? What are the consequences that need to be put in place in the hopes that there can be growth and redemption and health brought into the relationship? So let's just kind of look a little bit here as like, what happens if we don't break these rules? What happens if we don't have this paradigm shift? Well, I mean, a few things come to mind. First of all, we're not going to grow and mature very much, right? We're just going to stay stuck in that bad pain and we short circuit that growth process. Um, another thing might be is that if we don't break these rules, we may just end up blaming others for things that may be our responsibility. Hmm. We're kind of just staying in a role of, you know, playing the victim. And we stay reactive. We, we don't really see a lot of character growth in ourselves because we're waiting for that other person to change. We're hoping 
for change, but we're not really engaging in any change ourselves. And then the last thing I'll say, if we don't learn to break these rules is we may jump from one toxic relationship to another because we haven't put ourselves through this growth process. We haven't really learned. We haven't really uprooted the unhealthy habits and behaviors in ourselves. And so we're just primed and ready to jump right back into another hurtful relationship that has those toxic patterns. I think that's well said. Give us some practical takeaways so we can start moving toward landing the plane. Yeah, I mean, just last things. I'll just say, you know, and we've we've already mentioned this, but we have to adjust our expectations. Relational change is slow. It takes a lot of time. There aren't quick fixes. Hmm. We may also have to adjust our expectations of what can this person really give to me? What capacity do they have for change. Maybe maybe we come to accept that this relationship it's I'm not going to have all my needs met. There are desires that I have that this person can't possibly meet. So we're adjusting our expectations to reality. Yeah, that's really key. Not everyone can meet every need that you have. And there are different people for different needs. And what we like to talk about is the swimming pool analogy. Where does this person belong in the pool? Is this a person that can be in the deep end with me? And usually those are just a few people. And it's not your mom, (laughs) right? And it's maybe not even your spouse. Could be, doesn't have to be. But you're not going to have a lot of people in the deep end. These are people you're most vulnerable with. But then you get a lot of people up in the shallow end. Yeah, like a zero entry pool. Yeah. A number of years ago, this really helped me because I would go hang out with guys like a a sports bar to watch a game or just eat a pizza or whatever. And I would walk in thinking, well, they're going to really get me. Yeah, and like I'm jumping into the deep end of the pool. Yeah, they're going to see that I've had a hard day and Mm -hmm. I'm going to feel so good after being with them. And I'd get there and they're just talking about, you know, who scored a touchdown. (laughs) And I I would come away sometimes feeling like, gee, that that was kind of disappointing. It really helped me when I shifted into, you know what, I'm going into the shallow end of the pool right now. Mm -hmm. And that's all I'm going to do. Yeah. And I think that's a great paradigm to have when we talk about toxic relationships, because it may mean that, you know what, I thought this person was going to be in the deep end of the pool with me. And now I'm coming to understand, you know what, this is just sort of a shallow zero entry kind of relationship. And I can't continue to expect more from it. And when you're with that person, and you are not demanding that they meet deep needs. Mm. Now, guess what? You can be in the shallow end and play Marco Polo and goof around and have a good time. And now you're free right. to love them for who they are, not to expect them to give you what they can't. Right, which is less hurtful and, and really healthy. So third one. Third one. If you've broken all these rules, you've acknowledged the dysfunction you're working on becoming a healthy person, you've put boundaries and limits and consequences in place, and things are still toxic, you may need to ask a hard question. And that question may be, is this relationship beyond repair? Is this a bond that needs to be broken? So some relationships do come to an end because as you become healthy, maybe this person no longer wants to be with you or near you. They may not like these changes. And so they may choose to leave. Or things could naturally fizzle out or cool off or dissolve. But if things have gotten to the point where you think that the relationship needs to come to an end, Mm. I think it's best to seek out wise counsel 
to just get into the particulars of your circumstances and really look at, okay, what is the context here? Get that outside wise counsel. And if that's a place that you're in, I would reference you back to our episode on repairing broken trust to just give kind of further guidance of what that looks like. But we know that there are times that, you know, the relationship doesn't work out. Yeah. We've said a lot. Let's close this uh, episode. Three rules to think about breaking. Don't wait for things to get better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Break that rule. Don't try to change the other person. Break the rule of, gee, I can change them. And break the rule of, quote unquote, unconditional love Mm -hmm. and grow into a more mature understanding of how complex love is and how it looks different with different people. And it has different rates of intensity or levels of intensity, depending upon the relationship. Instead, what we want you to do is face reality, enter into a growth process. Yay. Yay. Cheers. Yep. Work on changing you, the things that you're in control of, because you're not in control of anyone else. Mm -hmm. And and love intelligently with limits, boundaries, consequences. And my gosh, just go, you know, relax a little bit. Beside the pool. (laughs) Yes. Sometimes. (laughs) Yep. All right. We hope you enjoyed the episode and can't wait to get back with you guys. There you have it. Thank you, Lynn. Great to be here. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at withyouintheweeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.